Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, Chris you back at it again, your buddy from Melbourne. And this one's a little bit different, and we have two superstars on stage at the same time, the topic being from founder to funder. And we had Adora Chung, co-founder and CEO of Homejoy, now YC partner, having a chit-chat with Holly Liu, a good friend Holly Liu from Kabam Games, also now YC partner. She had a $1 billion exit, $1 billion, give you an idea of the check size you're probably going to need to write if you want to become a YC partner, which happens to be a dream of mine, but a little bit out of my budget right now. One day, one day, keep hope alive. And uh, she also happens to be headlining the the APAC Regional Conference in Melbourne, Australia. What a quinky dink. Um, I will plug it every chance I get. But come, if you need an excuse to, you know, come to Australia in our summer, just gave you another one. And uh, they go back and forth on on the difference between being an entrepreneur and investor, uh, the empathy they have to the entrepreneurs they come in contact with. and, And if they were to go back to entrepreneurship, um, some of the learnings they have on how to approach venture capitalists, which I think is uh, some incredible learning for you guys. Uh, enjoy. Welcome. I think we decided we'll have a discussion. Yes. And talk a little bit about some topics that are, uh, I don't know, I, I know we spend a lot of time discussing what it's like to go from founder to funder. So so we'll probably talk about like how we started, why we decided to go with funder, some of the differences, things that we learned um, and some of the pitfalls we always fall into. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off and ask you, Adora, how did you get into like being on the funder side? Um, okay, so I started a company uh, a long time ago called Homejoy. It was a marketplace where you could buy and sell home services, most notably home cleaning, handyman services, and stuff like that. Um, and so I ran that with my brother for almost seven, eight years. Um, and after that, I was trying to figure out what to do next. I figured it'd be another startup, but all the ideas I was coming up with were just variants of Homejoy, which I had uh, basically determined I would never try to do that again. Um, and so uh, I decided I need a new environment and just change things up. And I just moved to the most exciting place I thought was where tech startups were, were doing, which was in Beijing, China. So I moved there for a year. And I just uh, had, I was, uh, I was fortunate that I had a little bit of savings that I could spend a year there. Um, and all I did was just help founders out. Um, and some of those companies are now pretty big companies. So I'm, that was pretty, that's pretty exciting. Uh, and that's actually where I met you, I believe. And we hung out a lot um, and eventually convinced you to come to YC. Uh, but after a year, I, uh, YC actually started, was growing uh, very fast, um, and I think around 2012, it just started taking. We just started taking more companies in the batch, um, and so they needed more partners. And I still didn't have an idea to work on, and I figured, um, why not get paid for what I was doing for free anyway? And I was enjoying it, and so that's when I just flew back to San Francisco and joined YC. So that's that's how I become an investor. I never I never was looking for. It. I think. 
love to hear your story, but um, it just sort of was very opportunistic. Yeah, I think I was opportunistic in a different way. Um, I think one of the things uh, after running your company you find out is it's it's a lot of highs, but there's certainly a lot of lows. And one of the things I was like incredibly interested in was helping founders like just pay it forward. I joke around and say it's because misery loves company. That's why we always <clears throat> will help one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. And like this is probably why Startup Grind is a community. This is probably why founders uh, tend to help out one another. And I've always looked to YC as just one of these places, I feel like Paul and Jessica, what they did, one of the most powerful things was actually just to bring founders together. Same what Startup Grind is doing. It's just bringing founders together. And that's like incredibly powerful. I also opportunistically realized as a founder, you could only, as an ex-founder, you could only do two things. You could either start another company or invest in them and call it your helping. And I realized that... Um, in order for me to even think about, like, would I be a good investor, I would have to see a ton of companies at once. Because I realized, um, like, when you're a founder, you're just focused on this really one thing, and you go super, super deep. And you don't, you're not even looking out at what's out there. You just know this one thing really well. And uh, when I pop my head back up, I realized, like, funny enough how useless, and we'll probably talk about this, but useless how much our skill set was in just going super deep, and how much like things had changed. Uh, but when we started our company, the smartphone wasn't even around. Um, by the time we exited, we were on the smartphone. Um, and like it was, I just wanted to pop my head out and see what's out there. I learned very quick. You know what? I, the first thing I learned is for the longest time, I thought a bot was like, this is embarrassing, but I thought a bot was like a robot. But I realized it's just this chat bot. For the, I was like, what is this thing? People are talking about bots all the time, and I'm looking for a robot, but it's not. It was, that's what they meant. So I just think like things happen so quickly and we are super focused, which is great as a founder. You need to be super focused, super obsessed, like very much um, doing your startup. But like a lot of things change on the outside. And so investing is really great to see what's going on out there. Um, so I think um, I'm going to encourage you guys to keep on putting some Slido things up. But one of the things I'm always curious that I, because um, you've been at it a lot longer, what's like one of the things, like, what's the thing you feel like you had to learn or unlearn going onto the investor side? Um, I th that's a good question. So I think a couple things. One, um, I think patience. So uh, I think in the beginning when I was advising startups, I would put myself in their shoes and um, come up with things I would do myself. And, um, and so when you're working with founders, Obviously, you can come up with a great, great, great game plan with them and brainstorm with them. But, um, like for me, I'm not the one running the startup. So the next day, I'm just curious. Like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Is this going to work? Because as former CEO, that's you know you would put it into action and you would be doing stuff, and all your brain power would be on on um, executing. Um, and so, just developing patience, I think, is a big thing. Um, uh, and 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 another thing is. Um, uh, taking a broader perspective when giving advice. So, for example, um, a lot of people, when they come up to me and they ask me questions, they ask me a lot about very specific questions about what I did at HomeJoy. Um, like, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Um, and it's not, and, and I don't, I rarely actually answer those specific questions because at what, 
what it is, it's like my experiences um, usually aren't a one-to-one -one mapping to you know, the problems that they're having. Um, so it, I don't think it's very helpful for me to just tell my story straight up. Um, and so what I've learned is to take a step back um, and try to glean what the problem they're trying to solve is. And if I can't figure it out, then just ask them, like, what is it? What is your biggest obstacle right now? Let me try to help you think through that. That's true. Oftentimes, though, we talk about how rarely at YC do we talk about our own company experiences because it's usually set in a certain time and also very much a certain kind of space. I think one of the things I found very interesting in moving to the funder side, and I don't know if you found this as well, is that like it was the strangest thing to only make like one decision. Like I felt like when you're a founder, you're making like multiple decisions at multiple levels. Like uh, you could come out from like an employee meeting and jump into an all hands meeting and then jump into like a BD meeting and like just play at so many level levels, like just constantly um, that like, I thought it was really interesting that like, wow, like like learning how to get good at making this one decision. And this is this is why at YC we always talk about, we always tell founders, please don't try to outfox investors. Because they've been do they do this 24-7. They also very much are um, been doing it for their whole life, it seems like. Like it's a very cottage industry. So that was definitely for me one thing that I had to kind of get used to and kind of kind of learn. Is there anything like that since you've seen in terms of like with all the companies that now going from the investor side, if you swap back to the founder side, would you um, do anything differently or like where you're like, because I have some of my friends who were like, oh yeah, I would have, I would have done this differently. I would have pitched it differently. Yeah. I, you know, one of the advantages of being at YC is you work with lots, as you know, you work with lots of founders. Um, and when they, and it's so funny when I started working there, I, I like, you can, it's easy to see what mistakes people are making, and then it's just also easy to see like, oh, I did that too. Um, and so, I, if I had to like bucket things I would do when I start my next startup better, um, probably two things. One is just general uh, health, <laughs> like uh, just taking time off and um, just taking care of your mental health. Um, and exercising and stuff like that. Like I, I think I gained like 30 or 40 pounds just working on my own thing. Um, and so that wasn't great for my health. Uh, two is uh, investor communication. So what I mean by that is now as an investor, we've invested in hundreds of startups. Um, it's hard to, you know, it's, it is hard to keep track of everybody um, and, and, and be helpful. And so I, the thing that I tell most founders is, hey, you know, and then the thing we try to get YC founders when, after demo day is you should be sending monthly or quarterly updates to your investors. And, you know, it's, it's not a big task. It's basically what are the highlights of, of how the company's doing? What are the lowlights? And what are the specific asks you have for the investor? Um, and and what, what I would admit to when I was running my own company was I didn't send those on a Regular, I like I sent them once in a while when I just had some downtime and it, it never never was um, part of my routine um, and I, I don't think that was good and um, I, as a result I don't think I leveraged my investors that well yeah yeah now being on the investor side those are actually incredibly helpful and even if you end up needing a bridge round it's so much easier to get because they're following your story mm -hmm. they know your highlights and your low lights so it's it's something that's now being on the investor side is incredibly appreciative. I think for me, I, one of the biggest things was like um, about markets, that markets always win. And sometimes you have hidden markets and it's a matter of telling, this is the second thing, is telling the story 
we talk a lot about problem and solution, but it all has to come down to like telling a story with numbers, almost like um, our favorite thing to say is like a lot of times founders will be like, oh, but people love us. And then they show quotes. And I'm always like, where are those quotes coming from? Their mom, their friends versus like if they showed us retention numbers or churn. I think that that was that's something like for sure I've learned in terms of like, oh, yeah, I'd probably make sure everything like went down to some number. Um, you guys have been doing a great job submitting. Uh, do you want to switch over to yeah, some let's questions? Let's switch over to some questions. Why don't you go ahead and take uh, whichever one you want to do. Um, should we just take it? Uh, do in order? What's the best way to do this? I guess take it from the top. What are your thoughts? Oh, you guys can see this, right? Okay. Oh, okay. Which is the first one. Portable Bennett's for gig workers. Hmm. Um, I love that idea. And I know there are a few. Who, who asked that question? Oh, are you working on that? Great. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I didn't like when, when I was working with HomeJoy is that we had this 1099 um, and W2-1099 misclassification issue, um, which burned us a little bit um, towards the end. But um, as a result of classifying everybody's contractors, as you know, we weren't allowed to give things that I wanted to give, like health insurance, all sorts of benefits that um, I think all workers should have. Um, and so I think there are a slew of startups out there, including yours, who are now um, offering it as an independent thing so that like the, the marketplaces themselves can't offer it themselves, but if the third party offers it, it's totally fine. Um, and so I'm a huge fan of it because I think um, gig workers should have that stuff. I'm a huge fan as well. I think the market's getting like bigger. It's just the larger economy. Um, and then there's so many more consultants, gig workers out there, and our healthcare system is not super helpful. Yeah. So I think it's great. Yeah. I think this one's for you, Adora. It says, <laughs> Adora. Uh, why don't you want to work on something like HomeJoy ever again? Um, ever again. <laughs> uh, I actually help a lot of companies that are doing something similar to HomeJoy, a lot of marketplace companies and on-demand companies, um, and I enjoy doing that. I think the reason I want to do it again is because I... The next startup I do, I just want it to be completely different. Um, I spent seven, eight years doing this, and I think I'm more of an engineer and a software type person versus an on-the-ground operations and just banging my head against the wall, trying to scale that up. Um, and it's just a different animal. And it's, for some people, for, it, that's like their thing, and they love doing that, and they're great at that. Um, they can do it forever. Uh, for me, I, just, I, would, I would just love to do something that's more on the engineering side, I think. All right, um, so the next one, um, is there a level of concept development needed to be considered for YC? Have you accepted concepts simply based on ideas with no real world expression yet? I wanna say yes, we have. Yeah, um, I'm not sure what concept development means, but uh, we, take, we take applications, we fund people, everything from barely that you just came up with the idea yesterday all the way to, you know, you have 40, 50 million, million dollars in revenue already, and so you've, pretty close to, if not product market fit. Um, I would say if you come in with an idea, uh, I, I don't know what, what new real world expression means, but that sort of sounds like it's not validated or you haven't talked to users yet. Um, I, I would have talked to users and have some kind of insight on why either you're the team to you know grow this and make this huge, or, or you've just figured something out that, um, that makes this something that can be a huge opportunity. Uh, and so, so I think that's important. 
Uh, I would definitely agree with that. Um, so was there a personal financial milestone you needed or thought you needed to make a transition to funder? Hmm. I can answer that on a personal level. Well, you exited for a billion dollars. So <laughs> There's something called dilution, too. Um, this is like a very... Because it's personal, I think it's a very personal question. Um, there are some people I meet, so there's so many vehicles these days to become investors, angel investors. You really just need some money. There's the Republic. I, I think now you don't need it to be an accredited investor. So an accredited investor needs to have a million dollars in net worth, I believe not including their main primary household. And that's what these private um, companies were only available to, these types of investors. So if you hit that bar, according to law, you are able to fund startups. You can come to YC's Demo Day and fund YC's companies. Um, if you don't have that financial milestone, then there are some companies out there. There's a YC company called WeFunder that enables you to not be a credit investor and also invest in these companies. There's also a company called The Republic. But I will throw this out there that it's an incredibly risky asset for uh, startups. Like it's a super binary. Um, a lot of times it, there's a lot of failure. It's like 99% failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's a growing trend definitely of entrepreneurs becoming, they, they're getting their own funds. And um, it's not because they had huge successes. Um, but I, I believe when you start a, f I cheated a little bit because I joined Y Combinator, so it's it's already been set up. Um, uh, but uh, I think if you start your own fund, you percentage of that goes to management fees, which goes to sal to your salary. Um, so you don't need to be personally wealthy to to start. Um, what lessons have you learned from working with young startups and hiring talent in times of growth? Um, well, I can say from personal things and also from working with these startups, uh, the number one, when, when you're growing really fast, um, the number one issue is that uh, it is fun. <laughs> um, and it sucks when it stops growing. So uh, I think what founders do, and I did this even myself, is that you keep trying to grow faster and faster. Um, you try to keep up with the growth, which is easy in the beginning, but as you, yeah. I mean, just ma mathematics-wise, like, it just gets harder and harder month over month trying to maintain that 30 to 50% growth. Um, and as a result, what you start, stop, you start looking at or just not, or paying less attention to is potentially uh, your customers, like, what, uh, what quality of service or... Uh, yeah, what quality service are you delivering? Um, and if you're not paying attention to any like uh, group of metrics that represents that, um, then you can very quickly start growing a product that um, isn't going to scale with good quality. Um, and so what I usually, the, the, the lesson from that is what I usually tell founders who are growing really fast is like, listen, just have this quality metric, wh whatever it is, NPS is probably the weakest form to be tracking, but retention is probably the strongest form. Um, and basically make an agreement with your exec team or with other founders or the whole entire team on like, what is, what is the minimum level this, um, like, what is, what is the metric in which if it hits below this number, uh, we just stop growth? Like, we just all agree, like, 
like uh, some shit is going down and we need to go fix that first. <laughs> um, and we will agree that it is okay to stop growing um, and we can return to the fun times after we fix that thing. Um, so that, that's, uh, there are a lot of things to, to, to else to do, but that would be the biggest one. I think the easiest way to attract talent is to show traction and growth, and it's super fun in terms of high growth. But like, there is certainly times of I'm I don't know if this was put onto you guys, but this is the curse of being a gaming company. Was we had to grow and be profitable, so we were constantly like making these cuts, or um, it was just constantly grow but like cut, and it was just so weird back and forth that that you were keep keep on pulling each other. So it was it was really quite difficult to retain talent. And one of the things that became in, incredibly important to recruiting talent was retaining talent, um, which meant we had to work a lot on culture. We actually evolved our values like three times, like iterated on it. Um, so yeah, that, that was something that was pretty important for us. Um, so there was there was actually one that like escaped, but I thought was very interesting, which was talking about the differences between San Francisco and Beijing. I know, like I'm going off script here, um, but like, what did you what did you think about the differences between Beijing and San Francisco in terms of like the tech startups? Um, hmm. Oh, what are, what are the differences? Um, I don't want to get myself in trouble. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> different labor laws over there. Maybe oh, not that. Um, <laughs> oh, even more. <laughs> Other trouble. Um, I, 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 you know, honestly, like in Beijing, it's it feels like a different different world out there. Yeah. I mean, you even you, you yeah. started your start like you had a startup there, um, so maybe you can probably speak oh. more to it. Um, but but it just feels actually a lot faster moving, um, and I think a lot of the flack on China back in the day was, oh, these are these people, they're hardworking, but they're just copying, cloning everything and um, from the US. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's flipped the switch now in which people are coming up with um, ideas that are very specific to the market, um, but they're just working still as hard and they're just going for it. Um, and it's just a different mindset from here. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Oh, here's the question. <laughs> oh, it was the VC environment. I was asking. Oh. Yeah. Um, that's that's a good question. Uh, unfortunately, I think in China it's a little bit more short-term thinking than here in Silicon Valley. Would you yeah. say that? And so I think that might be a reflection of the ideas that are getting funded as well. That's true. Um, but I I do feel like there were more investors who expected some kind of return in less than five years. <laughs> oh, that is true. I think a lot yeah. of the investors didn't know what to do with tech. That's how mm -hmm. I felt. A lot of them were like either from, they were all from real estate, a mm -hmm. ton of the investors, and they were looking for returns pretty quickly. Yeah. And so they they were like, oh, let, let's see real estate or something. Yeah. Like they were comparing it to real estate. So it was, it was incredibly different. Yeah. So that was, it was I guess that we were there in 2015, 2016. That's right. Um, but China, we're well, just... Why see China just opened? Yeah, why see China just opened? So um, we're fortunate to have Luchi join us. Uh, he was the CEO of Baidu and then he headed up Search. He's, he's a well-known computer scientist. Um, and so I think uh, we expect to fund a lot of great engineering startups. Well, I think we're out of time here. Thanks, everybody. And I just want to put a plug. YC has summer applications open, so feel free to apply. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling. <laughs>